0: This morning, I invite you to open your Bible and find with me the book of Romans. We're in chapter number six today. And so I encourage you to find your copy of God's word and look with me there to Romans chapter number six today. Those who are joining us online, I encourage you to get your Bible and follow along. You can find the outline for today's message on the website under resources and today I want us to think together through Romans chapter 6, look at it together prayerfully and ask God to speak to our hearts from Romans chapter number 6. We've been involved in this book of Romans and study together. Today there's good news, but there's also bad news. And, uh, and so the, the good news is that we don't have to live in the bad news, amen? And so look with me to Romans chapter number 6. And we're going to begin today with verse number one, and I encourage you to follow along with me. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing. He has been teaching us and telling us as he's writing to the church at Rome from Corinth. He's never been there, but he intends to go there. He knows that the church is made up of Jew and Gentile alike, and he's helping them to understand the gospel that he preaches. So he is writing to them. He's telling them, been telling them that man is justified by, for God by God's grace. It is his saving work that is a, it is realized in our lives through faith, and it's the only way to be right with God, and the just will live by faith. He helps us understand that all of us have sinned. There's none righteous. The Gentiles not righteous. They are idol worshipers, and they have the truth in creation. They have it in their own conscience. But their hearts, their conscience is seared, their hearts are darkened, their mind and their understanding, they're far from God, and they're without excuse. Also, the Jew, also, full agreement, even though they have the law, they continue to break the law, and they are shut up under sin as well as the Gentile. So both Jew and Gentile are lost without Christ, without hope, and they all need a Savior. And there's only one Savior. And that is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came and bore the full penalty of our sin. The wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. And the truth of the matter is that we're all under the righteous wrath of God, but Jesus himself bore the full price of our sin bore the wrath of God, satisfied a holy God, and rose again so that we might be saved. And he is the only atoning way that we can have a right relationship with God. This is the greatest news I know in all the world. We are justified by faith. Then Paul now is moving toward chapter number 6. And chapter number 6 is talking about how do we live this life. How is it that we live this life? how how do we live a holy and right and good life how now shall we live notice with me chapter 6 verse 1 what should we say then should we continue in sin that grace may multiply what should we say then should we continue in sin the grace may multiply absolutely not How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to our heart today. That God, that you would, Father, draw us to you. I pray that you convict us about what, about sin in our life, that you convince us about the truth, that, Father, that you would correct us in the ways that we go waywardly from you and your word, that you would comfort us in our grief, that, Father, you give us assurance of our faith and our relationship with you. So, Father, we need you. Spirit of God, do business in our lives. I pray that today, Lord, we would set aside all of the things that want to distract us. And that today, we would focus on listening to your voice. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, in chapter number 6, he says, what shall we say to these things? Paul is now, he's connecting chapter 6 with chapter number 5. And you'll remember with me in chapter chapter 5, verse 20, it says, but just verse, verse 19, actually, it says, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. As Paul is writing chapter 6, he, he begins, he's remembering what he's just written. And in, you know, the chapters and verses, the, the, the distinguishing of those verses happened Many, many years later. This was just a letter written by Paul, right? But you see a flow of thought that is taking place. And he can hear in his mind objections. Have you ever noticed there's there's always somebody objecting to the good news? There's just somebody always objecting about something. Otherwise, you, you haven't been in a Baptist church very long. If you don't know, there's somebody objecting about something. And there's always objections to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's objection to grace and salvation by grace. And there's objections to the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He said to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And indeed, it is a stumbling block to Jews because Jews want to be justified by the law. And those who are under the law, they, they want they want the law. And when you have the law, then it it then you feel like you're somehow participating in this self-justification of working toward your salvation. And the Jews look at this and they look at the gospel and grace and, and the cross and it seems to minimize works. It's a denial in their mind of the law of Moses and the Levitical code that we're to keep. It goes against earning or meriting a right standing with God and it was opposed to the religious customs. Gentiles Thought it was foolishness. You're preaching about a Savior who couldn't even save himself when he died on a cross. And isn't that what they mocked and jeered from below the cross? He saved others. Can't he save himself? Hmm. And all men seem to be opposed to free grace. We all have this kind of moral code, some sense of right or wrong. And it's always a moving target and it's different in different cultures. And that's why we cancel people who don't agree with our code. And somehow it's based in you've got to earn a right standing. Even if we fail to live up to it ourselves, somehow we think We've got to earn that right standing. And so we feel uncomfortable when we say we're saved by grace. But my friends, you cannot save yourself. It's by grace through faith. What should we say to these things? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Well, the first thing that we need to do is reject false ideas. And, and there's a lot of false ideas out there. And, and when he's preaching that where sin abounded, then grace did much more abound. What are some of the false ideas of that thought, that great theology? In Romans chapter number 3, verse number 5, but if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I'm using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Hmm. Notice verse 6. Absolutely not, otherwise how will God judge the world? But if by my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved, Paul said. He said, how stupid. God forbid, he says. Here's the deal. It's, it's, if, if our sin means God's grace is superabundant and pardoning. If his grace abounds the more, then sin more, so God's grace will be more. And Paul said, stop it. That's dumb thinking. That's not right. Why? Because sin, and you can just mark this down, sin never brings glory to God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Your sin and my sin never brings glory to God. It, it doesn't. Secondly... Sin never brings a blessing to your life. Can somebody say amen right there? Sin never brings a blessing to your life. You can't be blessed by sinning. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Sin always pays off in counterfeit money. It promises something that can never deliver what it promises, but it does promise death. Because God has said that. He said the soul that sins will surely die. Sin often looks appealing. Sin often looks like it will be rewarding. Sin often promises fulfillment and happiness. But sin always pays off in death. I've been trying to be disciplined about my eating in recent days. Has anybody ever noticed that food talks to you? Talks to me. I mean, I'm trying to walk with the Lord, keep my mind right, not eat carbs. When I get to heaven, I think carbs are going to be gloriously good. And so I went to a funeral the other day and... After the funeral, there was a meal, and after and at the meal, there was all of this, and it was a bounty of goodness. I thought, not that I'm against coconut cream pie; I love it, and it actually talks to me. It won't hurt. Just eat this one; it'll be fine. You will really feel really be satisfied. It could have been an apple in the garden. It looked so good to me. Nothing. I'm, That's my own struggle. It's just one simple little idea. But lusts, lusts of our flesh and the cravings of our flesh, we all know these. And whether it's security or money or power or food or sex, whatever it is, we think it will satisfy. And we almost hear it saying to our flesh, this will satisfy you. But it doesn't. It leads to death. Grace leads to righteousness and obedience. Not lawlessness and immorality. And so when you've experienced God's grace, it leads you to obedience. And that's where the joy is found. And righteousness never unrighteousness and lawlessness and immorality. Jude chapter 4 says for certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long before, marked long before, marked out, written about for this condemnation now listen ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, it's an ungodly move to think that sin somehow is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, Therefore, glorify God in your body. Sin never brings glory to God. Sin is willful disobedience. Sin destroys you. Listen, I'm saying it as clear as I can. Sin enslaves you, and sin wants to rule over you. Why would you have been rescued and liberated from this? Why would you go back underneath the mastery of sin? Paul will later write in chapter 6, verse 12. Look at it with me if you want to. It's right before you. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so as to obey its desires. He says, don't offer any parts of it to sin, your body, as weapons for unrighteousness. But those alive from the dead, offer yourselves all of the parts of yourselves to God as weapons For righteousness. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? When you give in to sin and living sinfully, you are surrendering yourselves. By your disobedience, you're surrendering yourself and they put the ball and chain on your life and they're leading you to death, not to life. But when you surrender yourself to the Lord, the Lord makes you a slave of his and it's joyous and it leads to life. Who are you going to obey in your life? one who rescued you? Amen. The desire to live in sin and to be enslaved to sin, now listen, marks lostness, not salvation. Nobody that's born again wants to willfully sin, and there's no joy in it. Can somebody say amen? Now, How many of us here still struggle with that old sin nature? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want you to know that that it is is false thinking to think that now that you're saved, you can go out and live however you want and live sinfully. Real believers don't think that way. Only lost people think like that. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 5, in verse number 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use the free, this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love. First, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh desires, craves what is against the spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. He says, you have been changed. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, self-ambitions, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before. Now listen close. Those who practice, that means they habitually live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's some people that have gone around and said, well, once saved, always saved. I've been saved. I can just go out and live however I want. You are not saved, my friend, because that no real believer thinks like that. 1 John chapter number 3. Do you have your Bible? God has called us to live a holy life. And this is what this Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, this is what we're going to look at over the next course of the next several weeks. So look with me to First John. In chapter number 3. And beginning with verse number 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to what? Destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who's been born of God does not sin, does not practice sin, because his seed Remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. Have you been born of the Lord? When you've experienced his grace, it transforms your life, your desire, and the want to in your life. Amen. We're going to deal with this more thoroughly in the next several weeks. Secondly, we need to embrace the truth. You reject false ideas that somehow that you've experienced grace, now you're secure and you can go out and live however you want. That is a false idea. It's a damning thought. Or that somehow sin is good for you. Or somehow sin brings glory to God. Or somehow sin makes God's grace even greater. That is all just a lie out of hell. You've been saved to live as God's children in this world. Now embrace the truth. Notice with me, verse chapter 6, verse number 2. You have your Bible. Look, he says, Absolutely not. He interjects it. He's just like, Oh, what an appalling thought. No way. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Notice you have died to sin. This is the truth. You have died. To sin. You are no longer living for sin, to sin, but you have died to sin. Yours may say you're dead to sin, but really it, it, you've died to it. Sin is still operative, but you've died to that. You're not living to sin. You're not living for sin. In chapter number 6, verse 10, Notice it says, concerning Christ, for the death that he died, he died to sin. There's that phrase again, Christ died to sin. What does that mean? Jesus Christ came and he died and he dealt with sin in his body on the cross and he died to sin. The full payment of sin was paid for and it is Finished, and Jesus Christ was buried and Jesus Christ rose again and now he lives a life to God you are dead to sin that is an old life and now you are alive to God that's the truth live as new men and new women that are alive to God you've been released from captivity you're not under sin's domain any longer Chapter 6, verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourself, account yourself as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin no longer has a hold over you. Sin no longer is master over you. I hear people say that. Well, yeah, but you know, I'm only human. As if, I know you're human. But that's no excuse to live sinfully. You have been set free and you do not have to be under that master. And you can live a new life. Now, will you reach sinless perfection here? No. Is this work of sanctification ongoing? Yes. But there is a truth you've been set free to live for God. Secondly, Dead to sin, sin carries the idea, I think, that your affections for sin are gone. You're dead to it. Now you have a new lover in your life. And it's the Lord Jesus. And you want to live for him who died for you. You want to live for him who rescued you. You want to re- live for him. and Not those old affections that brought death into your life you have an affection for another a new affection, a new love Lord, with me in 2nd Corinthians you say, Brother Tim, where do you find that idea? Well, let's look at 2nd Corinthians chapter number 5, Do you have your Bible look with me in verse number 14 For the love of Christ constrains us, compels us, controls us. Since we've reached this conclusion that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. I want to ask you a question. Who do you wanna live for? Do you wanna live for the one who held you captive? Do you wanna live for the one who, caused, who, who, who led you to sin? Do you wanna to live to the one who wanted to take you to death? Do you want to live for the one that's in rebellion against the God who made you? Or do you want to live for the one who rescued you out of the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of light? And do you want to live for the one who loved you with an everlasting love? And do you want to live for the one who forgave you of all of your sin? And do you want to live for the one who washed you clean from all of your guilt? Do you want to live for the one that made you new inside? I want to live for him. My affection is for him. And I'm dead to that. And I'm alive to this one. And I'm going to live for him who died for me. Amen? Colossians chapter number one. Book of Colossians. Chapter number one. Listen to how Paul says this in verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son he loves. Hmm. Tell your neighbor, you've been rescued. Tell your neighbor, you've gotten a transfer. You're a part of his kingdom. The kingdom of his son that he loves. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. What does it mean? It means you've got a brand new life. In every born-again Christian, listen close. There's a dividing marker in your life. And it's the BC marker. And BC means before Christ. Before Christ, there was one life. Now in Christ, there's a whole new life. You don't live while that BC life is still there. You still remember it. Sometimes that old nature wants to raise its ugly head. But that's not your life. You're dead to that. And you're alive to a new life in Jesus Christ. Paul's argument goes even further. Notice verse 3. You are aware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Now we're talking about union, united. This mysterious reality that we are united with Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. These words ought to sound very... They ought to sound very familiar to you because we often quote them when we're doing baptisms here at our church. Notice... He says, you're in union with Christ. That is not a foreign idea either because we talked about that last week. We talked about that in Adam, we all sinned and that we have experienced the guilt of sin and we have all ourselves sinned. But in Adam, we sinned. But in Christ, we are made right. And in Jesus Christ, we have a brand new life and we're united with him. There's a union with him in his death and in his resurrection in verses 3 and 4. So here Paul is using baptism language. He says in verse 3, all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus. Well, when were you baptized in Christ Jesus? When you came to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were baptized into his death. As Christ died, so you died. In some mysterious way, the old Tim's dead, and a brand new Tim lives with Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And so he says, in verse 4, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order, purpose clause, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we may walk in the newness of life. God's doing such a work of grace in you. He's not only saving you from your sin, he's not only justifying you, he's transforming you to live a brand new life. Hallelujah. So the doctrine of salvation, it's justification, but also that doctrine of salvation, is also includes sanctification. God is moving you to live a holy and right life before him and in this world. Hmm. So let me talk about this baptism for a moment language and some truths about baptism. Number one, all Christians are baptized in Christ Jesus. Into Christ Jesus. Now, is this talking about water baptism here? Well, yes. There's a spiritual baptism that has taken place, but Paul's talking about remembering your baptism. Baptism is a sign and seal and a symbol of our salvation. Baptism is not optional. Contrary to what you've been taught, the Bible does not talk about it being an option. All believers need to be baptized. Repent, therefore, and be baptized. Now, does baptism save you? Of course not. Christ saves you. But every born-again believer needs to be baptized. Paul's writing to this church in Rome, filled with Gentiles and Jews, and he's reminding them about their baptism. Roman Christians were baptized. They understood the connection of the gospel and baptism. And unless you're physically prohibited from doing so, every Christian must be baptized. You're not working your way to salvation. But it is a confession of your faith. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. Let me say this. Baptism should happen post-salvation. Baptism happens at your confession of Jesus Christ as your Savior. And as soon as you have confessed Christ as Savior, you must, should be baptized immediately. Why wait? Why delay? Be baptized. And it's an outward sign of an inward thing that has happened in your life. Now you shouldn't be baptized before you're saved. You need to be baptized after you're saved. It's a testimony to what has happened in your life. It's a picture of what Christ has done for you. It's powerful words here. Notice the powerful nature of these words he says you've been buried the word baptized means to plunge under to immerse to submerge it means to full, put underneath the water take back up out of it it's it's strong words it's powerful words it's immersed plunged buried and then the word raised it carries the idea of crucified and buried it's powerful It's a picture of what Christ did for you. Jesus Christ, it was no cupcake walk for him. Jesus Christ bore your sins. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. And Jesus Christ paid in full the fullness of your sin. And Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross. And Jesus died. And in the moment he's dying, he said, "My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" The heinous nature of our sin—he took it in his very being—and he died, so that you could die to sin. He was buried, but he rose in victory. That's what God wants in your life—to you die. Buried, risen to live a new life. It's powerful words. It's a picture of your new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a picture of a new identity. I am in Jesus Christ. He died, I died. He was buried, I was buried. He rose again. I'm a new person. I can live a new life. Baptism is an ordinance of the church. Jesus commissioned us to do this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, what's he say? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. My question is, have you been baptized? Why not? My question to you is, who are you in this world? Who are you? And baptism helps us understand who we are. We are in Christ. We are the children of God. Who are you living for? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? You can't say, I I want Jesus as my Lord. And the very first thing he told you to do is to be baptized. And you say, I won't do that. Who's Lord? Him or you? You see, he's not Lord if you don't obey him. Amen. Next thing that Paul helps us to understand is here you are free to live a brand new life. Because Christ rose again, you have been raised as well to live a new life. You live this newness of life. The power of death and crucifixion and burial and resurrection. You have a new life. Paul writes that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh God, may I live in power, resurrection power in my life? Well, I'm out of time. How do I live a holy life? You see, there's this tension. Anybody feel the tension between your old nature and your new nature in Christ? Anybody feel the tension of how you used to think and how you're supposed to think now? Oh, man, I do. I struggle. Anybody f- feel the tension between the culture and society and what seems normal or right, everybody else says is right, and you feel this tension about what God says is right? I think we all feel that. Amen. And maybe, do you feel the tension I do of my heritage? Meaning, how I was raised to act and to live. Hmm. Some of you grew up in homes where there was a lot of envy, jealousy, insecurity, conditional love, you know what I'm saying? Like, If you perform just right, then I'll give you my love. And if you don't, then I'm going to withdraw my love. Am I the only person in this room that knows about that? Well, what's it do? It bleeds over into what? How we treat each other. And how we think God treats us. Hmm. And then we grew up in homes where we manipulate each other. We lie to each other. We have secrets from one another. We burn relationships. Doesn't matter if it's brothers or sisters or friends, even children. And we won't even talk to them because we burn the relationships. And somehow it feels all right because that's what you grew up in, but you know it's not right. Right? And say, Brother Tim, then what is the strategy for me to live a holy life? Paul's talking about this here. It's not, you're, sometimes the false idea is run back to the law and live under the law. No, the law, the law can't do that. More rules. No, the rules can't do it either. We just got to try harder. Well, that doesn't work either. Or you get in this bad cycle of you fail, you mess up, and then you beat yourself up and then you then you try to do better and then you deny yourself and you're going to be hard on yourself and i got to just read more and i got to think more i got to try to pray more and i'm not against reading and praying and i'm just saying and then we mess up again and then you repeat the cycle Or if I could just mimic how they're doing it. How do I live a life in holiness? Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. That's what we're going to walk through. But here's a fundamental key. You are dead to sin. And that old life, you don't have to live like that anymore. Number two. Reconcile yourself to be dead. Consider yourself to be dead. And then align yourself to God. And then walk in the Spirit. Now, we've got a lot to say about that, but not today. In Galatians chapter 5, listen to what Paul says. I say then, walk by the Spirit. And you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. You see, here's something awesome. You're not only dead to sin, you're alive to God. You've been raised to live a new life. But let me tell you, this is the secret ingredient that's transformative. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And he gives you the power to live a holy life. Christ is in you. His Spirit lives in you. His voice speaks to you. And he will lead you to victory not in rules although the law is beautiful it exposes my sin Amen. it helps me understand what God wants to see in my life but the power to do it's not in me the power to do it is Christ in me Amen. that's transformative wow you see you're free to live a new life Were you talking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus? When we mess up and sin and fail, we confess it. Old patterns fall back into them. Don't just beat yourself up. You can't pay for your sin. Jesus did that. Confess it, forsake it, and walk by faith in the one who loved you. And in whom you rest. You're free to please God. You're free to live a brand new life. Romans chapter number six. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans chapter six, verse number 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you too, verse 11 so you too. Reckon, consider yourselves dead to sin. But what? Alive to whom? To God. In whom? Jesus Christ. Jesus dealt with sin. Jesus paid for our sin. Jesus rose again. And Jesus lives today. And he lives to God. And so are you. You are alive to God. Live for Him. You are free to live a brand new life. Hallelujah. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen. Father in heaven, perhaps there's someone here today who's never trusted Christ as their Savior. I pray that today... As they're convicted of their own sin and their own bondage, that Father, your Spirit is convicting them that Christ indeed is Lord and that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And they know that they have no hope without Him. And today I pray that they would turn from sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, your Son, who died. For us and rose again that we might have everlasting life lord there's some here today who've been struggled in in the living this christian life and feeling like utter failure in their life and as if they've regressed backward i pray that today would be a new beginning and a re-altering of their life and aligning it to who they are in Jesus. Father, there might be somebody here today who says, you know what? I trust in Christ. I've believed in Him, but I never have obeyed Him in the area of baptism. And I pray that they would come and make that decision today to obey Christ in their life. Lord have your way in us in Jesus name Amen